0: The views and opinions expressed in the following program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the positions of the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory or affiliates. Welcome everyone. This is Because You Need to Know. I am Edwin K. Morris, the President and Founder of Pioneer Knowledge Services. This series is your digital resource of valuable conversations with nonprofit and knowledge management enthusiasts from across industries and from around the globe.
1: My name is Camille Matthew. I live in Fairfield, California, so out in the Bay Area near San Francisco. I can talk for hours about a lot of different topics, but one of my favorites, is enterprise search systems. I'm very fascinated by content findability, specifically from how search engines are constructed and utilized in an enterprise setting. I also can talk a lot about rollerblading and that happens to be one of my favorite things to do. I love to rollerblade. I'm not a trick rollerblader, so don't don't go thinking that I know tricks and can jump and all this stuff. I put on knee pads, wrist guards, a helmet, and then I like to do long-distance rollerblading. So I've seen a fair share of California cityscapes, farmscapes by, by rollerblading around those areas. So that's one of my absolute favorite hobbies. The most fantastic job I've ever had was working at the Jet Propulsion Lab. When I graduated from library school, I worked as an intern uh, archivist student, a student intern. And I got the opportunity, our lab director retired around that time. And so I got the opportunity to, as an archival intern, go in and pack up his papers from his office. And so being up in the director's office at the Jet Propulsion Lab, going through the awards and the papers and the notes and everything that he'd left behind was a really interesting experience. And I found some, some cool little, little, little trinkets from his time at the lab that I thought really kind of humanized him, you know, somebody who'd done a lot of work for our lab, Charles Alachi. And, and that was just really neat being kind of on the ground floor of packing up the director's office when I, was a, when I was an intern. I also like to think a lot about the future, especially the future of knowledge management of the library and information science profession. And I think that I, I'm seeing trends that a lot of organizations, which normally would not be investing in information science support, information management, records management, things like that, are beginning to have positions and opportunities for growth within their organizations that are focused on those capabilities specifically. I really am seeing for the future of organizations, for the future of how business is done, I think that we're going to see a lot more Library and information science skill sets kind of brought in to the way that business is conducted and it's it's something that's really inspiring when I think about the future. I think we're moving hopefully towards workplace in a future that recognizes the value of maintenance and of not only building new systems but also of sort of thinking through these systems and maintaining them, curating them, developing them over time so that's something that I'm noticing more trends towards recently when I see job postings that I think is is a, a very positive thing about the way that work is going.
0: I noticed in your introduction, you talked about when you did this archival dig, this archaeological, I don't even, assembly, right? Your discovery and filing. And that had to have been just a ball of fun. It was. It yeah. had to have been overwhelming <laughs> initially. They, like, they probably like open the door and they're like, okay, go do all that. And you're like, oh my gosh, where do I even start?
1: We walked into the director's office. It was myself and our records manager at the time. We walked into the director's office and, you know, a couple of papers scattered around. We were told that we were to go in, collect all of the papers, and then process them for a sort of a initial baseline archival collection. We walk in, oh, that's not that many papers. This won't take us too long. We turn and and open one of his closets and just boxes and boxes and, and scattered, again, just trinkets everywhere that he had left you know I mean a busy guy he'd left a a lot of stuff behind so that took a very it took weeks and weeks to process even at a very basic level and just some really cool finds in there.
0: Out of that example I want to pull Uh out a couple of things as organizations that are listening or people that are concerned about that kind of walking into a, a situation like that where you've got years compiled of experience and knowledge and data and information all kind of shoved in a closet, how would you recommend to an organization to not do that? Yeah, come on. You know what? That's a good example of what not to do. If we'd have done this, it might have been better.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that you've asked kind of one of the holy grail questions right now, which is how do we do knowledge capture, not at the end of a career, not when somebody is offboarding or when they're leaving for another company, but as they're an active participant in the workplace contributing day in and day out. And I think that that's something where it's partly a systems question. I always have that perspective on these issues where you do have to have an infrastructure in place that is a acceptable repository for information content as it's being generated. But I think it also does have to do a lot with the culture that is mm. that the person is operating in. So if you are yeah. part of a culture that's always go, 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 no time for retrospection,
0: right. when is
1: that supposed to happen yeah
0: yeah it's not easy you really called it out that most organizations fight this but they i don't see them actively putting resources towards it so going back to your library background it would be similar to that is that so you've got a whole building full of texts and books and things right and audio recordings and all these things But if you don't have anyone curating and taking care of all those resources, you're going to end up like that big closet of stuff. It's like, you know, is it keyword searchable? No. You know, it's like, (laughs) what what good is all that stuff? Yeah. Until you do something with it. And I got to ask, how much of that stuff was retained? Was there a percentage of like, "Ah, shred this, shred that, boop. You know, you had to somehow, you couldn't save everything, I would guess. Right,
1: right. Well, you know, it's it's interesting with some collections, with some sources of information, you do have a tendency to save more than you'd expect. And since this person had been a director of the lab, we did apply a pretty broad, generous retainment yes. to that information. But that being said, there was a lot that was shredded still, especially things that were copies, things that could be found elsewhere and didn't have any annotations or anything like that. So I think that the question of sort of historical value does come in but even in the case where we had files directly from one of the lab's seven directors or however many in its history even all of that wasn't retained so yeah you absolutely do have to be able to separate out the actually valuable content from the noise
0: one of the things you brought up was that you needed to have the architecture right and you're talking about the technology architecture that helps facilitate the storage retrieval classification, taxonomy, all the parts and pieces that make sense out of all this stuff, but we didn't talk about processes. Do you think if there had just been a simple process in place, you wouldn't really require a technological, it, and it sounds like if it was all analog, as far as printed materials, then you're talking a file cabinet, but it's like,
1: right.
0: How can an organization prepare to adopt a better way?
1: I think that a lot of what we seek to accomplish as knowledge managers is, it's a noisy area right now. It's a noisy field. There's a lot of different pressures. If you go to either knowledge management conferences or you talk with librarians, you talk with records managers, people that have sort of a working day-to-day role in this area, we're being bombarded, I think, with a lot of external opinions and information and stuff that, that can feel very relevant in the moment but that can, I think, in the long term be a distraction. Something like a chatbot, for example. No hate for chatbots. I think they're wonderful tools, but they're, they're sort of a, you know something that you think you should have, think you should invest in. But really, that in and of itself is not the important thing. The important thing is if you have information that could support that kind of functionality, that's actually the more critical piece. You know what I mean? So it's less the outcome and it's more the foundation. And so I think a lot of times when we talk about working in a space where you're seeking to make knowledge, information more accessible, more findable, more usable for your employees, for your end users. It's really you could do that with Excel and a shared drive. You know what I mean? You could if you had to, you could do that way. Oh, I know that, don't not, even <laughs> say
0: that. You know, if we would have backed the train up forty years, I'd have said, Oh, that's a good idea. But no, no. I'm not recommending no. it.
1: I'm not recommending it. I will actively not recommend that <laughs> method. I'm just saying if you needed to, you could do Some, it with yeah, a, exactly. a clipboard, I mean, yeah, a clipboard yeah. and, and passing it around in our office mail. Yeah. There's a lot of functionality that can be supported and you don't need to invest in all these other systems. So I think that that's one interesting challenge, actually, of being in the LIS. And, and sorry, I will use that as a shorthand for records information the library and information science field, it's difficult to pick what's a foundational necessary thing to invest in and what sort of noise.
0: So that really speaks to a strategy which has to be nested in the organization's strategy. If the organization feels knowledge is valuable and the retention of it's valuable and the retrieval of it's valuable, they probably have somebody doing knowledge management. So how does a knowledge manager nest their strategic plan into the strategic plan to answer hard questions like that, right? Because everybody wants some artificial intelligence, everybody wants a bot, everybody wants this. Right. But the, Is it a good to have, or is it a need to have? That's such a fun
1: question. And it's it's something that I spend a lot of time thinking about. After the Jet Propulsion Lab, I moved on to work in another federal lab space. I really like working in that environment because you're sort of on the cutting edge in a lot of ways. But you've also got a lot of legacy. These organizations have a lot of legacy material. So I think to sort of answer your question, absolutely, there's parts of a knowledge management strategy that always have to be customized, always have to be tied in to what an organization is actually striving to accomplish. If it doesn't matter to one organization that their most current version of a document is what re- users are retrieving first, then you don't need to worry about version control as much. I can't imagine an organization where that would be true, but you could see how. There's different features, different factors that would set your priorities and set the things that you want to work on first, the wins that you're hoping to go for. So I think that knowledge managers very frequently, when you come into a new space and you're looking at the environment, you're surveying what's been done and and where the opportunities are. I never think of the work that is to be done as an overhaul. I'm never seeking to overhaul anything. I always want to intervene. I always want to see what the environment is currently, and tweak. Never overhaul, just tweak. So for example, if an employee is sharing updates to their supervisor very, very regularly via email, let's say, how much of a alteration of their existing work process is it to say, instead of sharing this to your supervisor via email, we're going to post it on this wiki page that goes out to all of the division. And now all of the division knows what you're working on. It's the same process. It's the same level of effort, more or less. It's just a slight tweak in how the person is doing their work. So I really think that that's how knowledge managers can go about trying to add value very rapidly and in a way that's very strategic is by finding those tweaks.
0: Well, that's an interesting term for that because there seems to be two ends of the spectrum of knowledge management. Do you do a full-blown enterprise level overhaul, we're going to change everything, or do you just make people's work a little more valuable for their time spent to make it an enterprise level findable thing versus email? I mean, if you can get 10 people in your organization to quit flipping sending emails, that's a win. Right. Right. Uh, like you say, it doesn't create more work. It just makes a better work out of their time.
1: Precisely. I respect folks that have the the energy and the vision to do kind of an overhaul, but my approach is always, you know, I, I have spent most of my career as an individual contributor, and so when I look to make change, I'm always kind of thinking, you know, top down is important too, but where are the bottom up wins going to come from? And that's that's where I put a lot of energy.
0: Where does the spark of creativity and innovation come from in you?
1: I think that there's a couple of different places that I've identified. Uh, this is something that I've spoken with friends and colleagues who are in this field about, and we all kind of agree that you have to be a kind of anxious person. So part of the- Wait, of wait, the operation... wait, wait a minute.
0: What? <laughs>
1: an anxious person? <laughs> just a, a little bit of anxiety, just a little bit of a desire to live in a more ordered world. And so I think that that's, that's definitely a part of it for me. You know, there's a joy in not just inventing, but also seeing an operation be performed efficiently. Yeah. And I think that, that that joy is where I find a lot of, you know, sustainability. We, we're we living in an age that's very aware of issues around sustainability yeah. and very aware of systems failure and degradation. And so I think for me, at least, that's where I find a lot of inspiration is in trying to combat that.
0: Have you ever been an entrepreneur?
1: I am currently working as an entrepreneur, but for about the last year, I've had a, a part-time consulting business. So I'm I'm experimenting, dipping my toes in.
0: Have you had the experience as a kid though? Did you oh. have a mentor as a kid? Did you have a family business? Did was there an uncle that had like his own outfit? Where did you get the visibility of what it's like to be your own person? That's a that's a really good question.
1: I um <laughs>
0: TikTok TikTok. Is there anything like that in your background? I'm drawn to find where did that inspiration seed get planted in you? Was it a grandparent? Where did you find and recognize that an entrepreneur can kind of set their own path?
1: I think that as a kid, my foray into entrepreneurship was babysitting. So I had a little empire as a child. I was the oldest kid, so it was sort of forced upon me by my family. But but once I realized that there were people outside of my family that needed this service there was a motivation there, there was a you're, like motivated. Yeah.
0: you're like oh my exactly. gosh I can make dough doing this
1: yeah yeah I you know that's always been kind of I like challenges because you're able to see what you can do in an environment that is undefined and so I guess as a, as a child maybe that was for me that was babysitting and, and just trying to equate care with getting paid but down the line I think you know it's been, well, maybe I guess similar, except for with information.
0: <laughs> well, very much so. I can see that. you Use the word care, right? So there's a level of I care in what you do, correct? Absolutely. And that heart comes from where? Where does that inspiration come from? We've heard about the business inspiration.
1: There's a element of stewardship in my current position that is very uh, part of our mission. So I I currently work for the Lawrence Livermore National Lab. And one of the things is just the sense of there's been a lot of development, a lot of work that's gone into from from the country and the science and engineering, basically evolution of those fields have been partly impacted by this organization and other national labs like it. And I think that for me, that the idea of sort of stewardship, it's about respecting the past. It's about respecting the future enough to respect the past. And so it's all part of the, the larger system of how we evolve. And I think that that's a lot of where my passion for this and my caring comes from is I feel like I'm contributing yeah. to that evolution.
0: And that has to reflect a bottom line to somebody somewhere, right? That return on investment of what all these elements are you're talking about instituting in an organization matters to someone else in dollars and cents probably more so. How do you measure success? Part
1: of the way that we measure success is through metrics. And I know that that's a boring answer. Any system that can produce- Oh, metrics, yes. (laughs) Everybody loves
0: metrics. I'll take three.
1: Numbers and- and, and,
0: (laughs) Percentages and 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 bar charts. Oh, I love graphs. That's great. It's a
1: fun time. We do always want to, any system that can produce a number for us, we want to see if that number can tie back to a larger meeting so can we assume something based on the number of query refinements that you've had while using this system that's part of it but we also do put a lot of stock into satisfaction part of this whole environment that we've been talking about with the library the information all of that one of the fields also is a user experience and i think that you know that's a relationship that you develop very frequently i'm not an expert in ux but you know You always want to have those those relationships. User experience is important in today's workforce, uh, workplaces. We have a workforce that has extremely high expectations, is very literate in the information environment that we all use for work and play. And so having an organization that does not provide the expected user experience can have a slew of negative impacts on somebody's experience of being an employee. You can see numbers that I've noticed recently, it was a vendor report, so grain of salt. But, you know, roughly one in five folks say that it has a retention impact for them. The lack of ability to find information effectively has an impact on burnout and makes them want to leave. And one in five is, I know that's somewhat anecdotal, but I kind of want to remember that when we're doing all of this. And so we do put a lot of stock in employee satisfaction.
0: All right. Well, employee satisfaction aside, what are the top three technologies? If we're going to boil down what the usual three components of knowledge management is, or is represented by, is people, process, and technology. And we've talked about people, and we've talked a little bit about process. We haven't specifically talked about a technology or type of technology. And that seems to be your thing you dream at night about is (laughs) technology. So let's hear about it. My
1: rallying point. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. There's a couple of different technologies that are having more of an impact. They've been on the scene for a while, but I think we're really having more of an impact now as companies are starting to actually realize the linked data promise that's been touted for the last couple of decades. I do a lot of work in semantic technology development, so that's things like taxonomies, ontologies, knowledge graphs, for the purpose of increasing information readability, findability, reusability. And at the end of the day, just understanding, I like to think about the library and information science field as potentially including a little bit of context management. So we're not only managing content, but we need to be able to manage the context in which our information was generated. The workforce is changing very rapidly. We're losing institutional knowledge is something everybody is concerned about right now. And part of what semantic resource development allows you to do is manage the context around your information resources. And so I think that's a really big part of the current scope of work that I see for myself and others in our field. Um,
0: Can you give me a hard example that the listeners could say, oh, that's what you mean, content to context?
1: Absolutely. So one example is everybody has a document repository, right? Everybody has a place that Resources are put, things like uh, papers that were written by employees or view graphs, presentations that have been given. Everybody has that location. And so very frequently, you might tell a new employee or somebody who's looking for information on a task that's new to them, hey, well, you can learn more about that by going and checking this repository, going and checking this document store. That works to a certain point, because as long as I can tell you as a seasoned employee, that this is an important view graph for you to read, then you're fine. You you know that this is important. You read it. We're all good. But what happens when I no longer have that institutional knowledge that of the 1,500 view graphs, that's the one that you want to read to learn about this topic. And so that's what I mean by context management. It's not only the literal preservation of the file, like making sure the PowerPoint doesn't decay, you know, saving in that way, but it's also the management of the understanding of what that resource means within the environment of your institution
0: so that i think gets lost in a lot of organizational matter in my experience the ability to create the digital drive or the shared drive or the sharepoint or all the architectural pieces is the easy part the hard part is developing a solid governance plan that moves beyond a, you know, it was naming conventions of the files. And that's almost not a thing anymore because of the contextual relationships you can construct and tie together Absolutely. Uh, those elements too, and it's important.
1: It is a fair amount of work that gets lost in this area when you are just thinking about document management or just thinking about content management without understanding, as you alluded to, the shift that's occurred away from strings into things. We talk about that a lot. We want to search for things, not strings. So we, we are less constrained by the base file storage systems that were once kind of the way that you did things. And now we've moved into, I think, a environment where people know that when you're Googling something... You're not just Googling for hoping for a match on Amelia Earhart, like that one exact string. You wanna know about the person. You want the Wikipedia page to be returned. You might have specific questions about her life or her accomplishments. And so it's less about just matching that string, which you can trick a search system into returning relevant results when you're just matching on strings. But when you're searching for the actual thing, you know we're, again, we're talking about context and entities, and these are different kinds of information objects than just a simple document store would highlight.
0: What is your definition of knowledge management?
1: My definition of knowledge management is that knowledge management is a field which seeks to unite people, process, and technology to accomplish some specific measurable outcome for innovation and learning. And (laughs) it changes every day. That's today's definition of knowledge management. Oh my goodness.
0: That's pretty cool. You tied in a lot of loose ends into that one. I liked it very much. There was an old Department of the Army definition when the Army got into knowledge management as an operational piece. Their definition used the word, the art of. And I've often asked people, is it a discipline of science or is it an art? And depending on where your framework is, if you're heavy IT, of course, it's science. If you're heavy HR and people, it's it's definitely an art, you know, but can they be both simultaneously and can an organization come at it that way?
1: It's really funny to try to classify knowledge management, in my opinion, because I walk through my life, I watch movies and I read books and I'm like, jurassic park has to do with knowledge management and some <laughs> child's book i'm like oh there's all a little so i definitely i am a bad person to ask this question because is it a science yes is it an art yes is it history absolutely is it therapy frequently yeah. um that's one thing that for me at least is extremely fun about this field is that it's still new enough that there aren't There's certain standards set in place, best practices. That's a very good thing. But we also have a lot of freedom to try out what it means to be a creative person and manage that knowledge and be a very technical person and benefit from these resources. What's
0: the future for you where you're at right now? What's the new thing that's going to set you guys on fire? Is it going to be augmented reality? Is that where you're putting all your eggs?
1: Oh, man. That would be pretty cool. I think AR is super fun, but I've never had any reason to get serious about it professionally, unfortunately. For us, we are really leaning very heavily into auto classification. So I mentioned earlier the ontology taxonomy piece of the puzzle. We're putting a lot of effort into that right now because I am of this opinion, as we've talked about that context entity management, that's sort of one of the things that's critical for us to be able to enable. We're building out these resources with the intent to use them for auto-classification purposes, not only on materials that are being generated today by our current workers, but also on the significant backlog of information that again, a lot of legacy organizations have. And so digitizing that, auto-classifying it, trying to actually eventually get to the point where we have sophisticated enough models of our information to be able to draw out new insights, that's the thing that's setting us up for the next decade of work.
0: Example an auto-classification for me, please.
1: So taxonomies are basically lists of things. Ontologies are basically lists of things with relationships between each other. And in setting up these resources, you're basically creating a human-readable and computer-readable language and grammar that can be used to do a number of tasks in both information findability and description. And so auto-classification is the description piece. It's the ability to take an engine that reads through your taxonomy, your ontology, notices those either labels or alternate labels for a concept in a piece of unstructured free text and says, Hey, I found this acronym. I'm going to assume that this acronym is referring to this concept, and then I'm going to tell you that this document is about that concept in some way. Where it gets really sophisticated is that it can say if that thing looks like a person, Maybe it'll assume that that person is an author or a contributor if it's on the first page of a document, for example. If it sees another concept that's, you know, it hasn't noticed before, it can flag that and say, "Hey, this looks like it's near these other similar concepts. Would you like to keep track of that one as well?" So that's what auto classification okay. looks like in practice.
0: That's got to be a heavy lift because you got to do a lot of front end work to even get there.
1: Absolutely. Oof. It's definitely a pretty heavy lift. Oh. It's a skill set that I feel like is not super common mm-hmm. yet. There are I know a lot of ontologists and taxonomists, so my pool is a bit saturated, uh, the network that I look at. But it's something that I always am excited when I see that library and information science school schools are putting efforts towards teaching students about taxonomy and ontology because I, I want to hire those folks. You know, I want to bring that in.
0: It's got to mean that. Your content is the epistemology is words. It's not audio recording. It's not video recording. It's documents.
1: Yeah, auto classification okay. as a solution. Yes, that's it has to be textually analyzed.
0: Are you guys looking at different media to? Yeah, look at a smile. Okay, all right, let's hear it. Oh no, I just—it's—it's <laughs> it's a TikTok world out there. So I'm just It is I'm a TikTok world. It's
1: you're not wrong. It is definitely a TikTok world out there. With a lot of the work that I've done in the past, I've mentioned the organizations that have been around for 60 plus years, they have these big piles of information. They have these closets full of documents and they're like, what do we do? What do we do? And so a huge part of my knowledge management work and a lot of folks that are in sort of maybe the federal space, I think we're all concerned about this backlog, but that's only part of it. And so the backlog tends to be mostly text, at least in the cases that I've worked with. There's some video, but much of the video is not what you would consider tiktok worthy (laughs) it's maybe a video of a test or something so analyzing a backlog that's very textual Mm. when we turn and look at the other direction when we turn and look towards the future bets are off with format i want to do knowledge like sharing as a as a web comic that's what i you know i want i want to be very creative with media when we're looking forwards
0: well that's perfect Well, I'm excited to hear what happens in the next five years, so please keep us informed.
1: we Will do, absolutely.
0: Thanks for being here today, Camille. It was a blast.
1: Thanks so much, Edwin. This was great to talk to you.
0: Because You Need to Know is designed to bring people's experience and their knowledge forward to be shared. I'm Edwin K. Morris, and I thank you for joining in to listen to another conversation Brought to you as a public service of Pioneer Knowledge Services, a nonprofit tax exempt organization with a charitable knowledge management purpose. Find us online at pioneer ks.org and add your voice to the conversation on Facebook.